If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to the book of Zephaniah. Now that's the fourth book from the end of the Old Testament. We'll be reading Zephaniah chapter 1 in its entirety. Zephaniah 1. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off from man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests and the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Malcolm, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord, God, For the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guest. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the king's children, and all such as are clothed in foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Well, you inhabitants of Meactish, for the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become booty. Their houses are desolation. They shall build houses but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of triumph and trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuge. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all who dwell in the land. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. O Lord, you have given us the words of the prophets and apostles. These words are made certain so that it is good that we may pay close attention to them as a shining light, making clear the dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in the hearts of your people. You have made it clear, none of this prophecy originates in the heart of man, but these men spoke from you as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand this morning. Take by your Spirit the message of this passage of Scripture and implant it in our hearts. Let it do its work and change our lives. In Christ's name, 
Amen. <clears throat> to begin this study, we need a little refreshment. Refreshment on the historical setting and the actions of Zephaniah's day. Moses and Joshua gave Israel their directions in bringing them into the promised land. In the same way, prophets like Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Nahum are giving directions through the loss of the land. There is great theological significance in the picture the land provides of God's protection and provisions for Israel. This is the foundation of the covenant promises God made to Abraham. God committed to give Abraham the promised land. This was a covenant promise that showed the coming of a glorious redemption for all believers in heaven. Abraham never received the land during his lifetime. When the land was possessed by his descendants, it was shown to be a land of great worth and provisions were plenteous. In Exodus 3, it's called a land flowing with milk and honey. The possession of this land by Israel was a picture, as Dr. Robertson says, of the consummation of God's redemptive purposes. In other words, it was to be seen as a foreshadow of heaven. The land promised for all of eternity was heaven. It was the place where man could live with God for an eternity. You have to consider, as you read Zephaniah, what does it mean to God's people when they are so forcefully removed from the land? Hosea says, they have become not my people. They have lost the symbol of their redemptive blessing. God, could, could anything worse have happened to them? How can such a terrible thing be explained? It was prophets like Zephaniah that had the task of showing what all of this meant. It was through their writings that we see the terrible failure of the nations of men. It's also through their interpretation of these events that we learn how faith sustains God's people. It's through faith, faith in God, that life is sustained even in times of such terrible struggle and destruction. In the calling of Abraham, the redemptive purpose of God was revealed. In the destruction of Israel, hear this now, this is very important. In the destruction of Israel, that redemptive purpose was in the spotlight. This brings the faith of those who believe to the center of redemptive history. In this, you see both, as Mr. Robertson puts it, redemptive acts of judgment and salvation. We saw that through the call of Abraham. We saw that through the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. You see, God working out his purpose in this world. He does so even using the mighty armies of this world of the great nations of this world. He uses them for his own purposes, even while they strive to bring their oppression on the world. This shows even those evil empires had a part to play in God's redemptive purposes. God has taken his plan from one man wandering in the wilderness to a movement of, with great international scope. 
He has changed the focus of his people. It has gone from the land as a promised gift to faith in struggles amid the wars of powerful nations. What God has done in all of this is point the focus of his people to faith. Judah in Zephaniah's day was a small, insignificant nation. It was surrounded by greater and more powerful nations. How can she survive? How can she ever be the voice to carry God's message to a lost and dying world? The judgment we read about coming on Judah is a part of God's plan to prepare the world to receive that message of hope. Here is where faith becomes more important than life itself. Judgment places you in a position that removes all hope in self or in other men to deliver you. Zephaniah is showing that hopelessness in man. He is also showing the calling of the people of God to turn and place their hope, their trust in him and in him alone. Let's look at this first chapter of Zephaniah. We'll learn of this great cosmic and covenantal word of judgment. We will come on, on the, we, which will come on the day of the Lord. First, we see a reversal of creation. Second, we learn of the removal of the covenant people. Next week, we'll continue this as we learn of the destruction of all the people, followed by our learning of the terror of God's plan. The day of the Lord is the central element of this book of Zephaniah. It especially stands out in this first chapter. Listen to verses 2 and 3. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks, along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. The prophet couldn't have opened his letter with more graphic language. He says everything on the face of this earth shall be destroyed. This is the same language God used with Noah before the flood. He told Noah in Genesis 6-7, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. This shows a reversal of creation. In Genesis 1, 19-27, you first see the creation of things in the sea, that's fish, then the creation of birds, then of beasts, and then last man. Zephaniah turns that around. He now calls for the destruction of man, beast, birds, and fish. This causes a problem. In, covenant, in God's covenant with Noah, he promised that the creation would go on until the last day. So, how can such language be used in referring to the destruction of the nation of Judah? Jesus helps, gives a picture that puts this into proper perspective in Matthew 13. You may remember the parable of the, the weeds. In verse 41, he says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. This is a reflection of the words of Zephaniah, when he says, I will consume man and beast, I will cut off man from the face of the earth. This is shown as a, a wiping away, a wiping away of, a, of the stumbling blocks of the wicked. What are these stumbling blocks? They're idols. The wicked will have only rubble left, nothing that can redeem them. 
their idols will give nothing of value. This clearly slays out the idea of judgment coming against God's whole creation. It especially shows the judgment against man for his wickedness. Jesus, in presenting this parable in Matthew 13, clearly shows the message Zephaniah is talking about. At this point, it is the final day when judgment shall fall on all of creation. This shows that there is a cosmic judgment coming. A judgment from which there will be no escape. It will come and reverse creation itself. This is a reminder to all men of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. God will bring judgment against mankind. It's coming. You must listen carefully for this call for judgment. The stumbling blocks, the idols are all around you. These idols are anything that can cause you to lose focus on what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul speaks of believers becoming new creatures, new creations. He says the old is gone in Christ and the new has come. He continues with these words from 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, all things are of God. He goes on to explain this. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It is only through Jesus Christ, only Jesus Christ, that anyone will be able to survive this coming day of judgment. This makes very clear. Wherever judgment is preached, grace will follow. Open your ears and listen. Open your hearts and believe in this one sent, sent by God to do for you what you could never do. He alone is the way to eternal life. You must place your hope in him only if you want to be able to face this judgment and be delivered from its terrible consequences. There are acts of punishment you rightly deserve as a part of the race of mankind. Turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to him and repent of your sins today. It will be too late as this day of judgment comes to a close. This judgment comes to cleanse away the sin that was that has polluted what God has made. Sin cannot come into the presence of a holy God. Therefore, all sin and all its fruits must be destroyed. Hell was created to, to house those men and angels who rebelled against God and sinned. As you know, the angels cannot be forgiven. But, God allowed that man, man would have a period in which he could be redeemed from his sin and redemption reestablished with God. That period of redemption is his lifetime. God is putting up with this sinful world only because he wants to take out a, take a, a people out of it for himself. He wants to build his own people. That's what he's doing. He is throughout the Old Testament dispensation showing that man cannot on his own live up to the standard of God's character. Man fails and he fails repeatedly. Zephaniah is, dealing, is, is detailing one of those great failures. Judah was the tribe of Israel that the great favor of God rested upon. It was to 
to be through this tribe that the Messiah would come to save his people from their sins. You would think with such a wonderful promise, these people would have followed God's word without equivocation, but they did not. Therefore, God pronounced his judgment upon them, and that pronouncement is a picture of all of mankind's failure. Zephaniah, having foretold the coming day of judgment against all of creation, turns to a more specific target of God's judgment here. In verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. The prophet is beginning to bring down mankind. To show his fall. He began with a judgment against all of creation. Now he comes down to the nation of Judah. More specifically to Jerusalem. God says he will stretch out his hand. This is a sign of judgment. Wherever God is bringing judgment. He stretches out his hand against those he judged. You have to understand how devastating this pronouncement is. There is not one person who does not err. To fail to follow God's word is sin. All men have fallen short of the glory of God. Many men make the same mistake Israel made. They thought themselves favored by God and thus exempt from his judgment. No man is exempt from God's judgment. In this passage... We see a number of things that can and will bring the judgment of God. First, you see he will judge those who worship Baal. He says he will cut off the remnant of those who worship Baal, that is any false god, any false idol. This is one of the reforms of Josiah to remove anything that would lead anyone into a worship of a false god. God will also bring judgment against those who follow and serve false teachers, priests, or false gods. He will literally, literally remove the names of such people so they will never be remembered. The principle here is that either God is God in your heart or Baal is God in your heart. One or the other has to be in the center of your heart. Either God is there or there's a false God there. Either God is sovereign and in control of your life, the one you trust in or you trust in the superstitions of men, which is it? There are no mixing of these things. Either you follow the true and living God and are saved, or you follow a false God and are already dead and hopeless. The true and living God, the God Zephaniah is speaking for, is the creator, the God who has created all things. He does as he pleases with his creation. Here again is grace. God is ever pushing his creation forward to the final goal of redemption. He is completing his sovereign purpose to redeem a people unto himself. This has always been the purpose of God to have a people to himself. He is going to fulfill this purpose. He sent Jesus Christ into this world to accomplish this divine purpose. He made a covenant with man. He is showing throughout the Old Testament the inability of man to keep that covenant. He has repeatedly told them his judgment is coming. 
in Ezekiel 18, 30 through 31, he makes it very clear. He has no desire to bring man into such a terrible punishment, but, but he will judge everyone who refuses to hear his call to believe and repent. Mankind cannot escape this judgment. There is a way you can be delivered through this judgment, and that way is Jesus Christ. He became your priest, sent to stand between you and the Father, to mediate on your behalf. Under the old covenant, God set the Levitical priesthood to stand between himself and his people. This was a clear statement. Man had an inherent weakness. It required a way filled with compassion for man to be able to maintain access to God. These priests forgot that. Thus, these idolatrous priests are Zephaniah's target. The Levitical priesthood turned from following God and began serving pagan gods. They led the people into sin, and because of them, this judgment is at hand. Instead of showing the people the right way to God, they turned to the wicked practices of the pagan gods of the nations around them. They went about calling for the sacrifice of children and worship of created things over the Creator. Zephaniah continues to show things that have brought this judgment. Verse 5. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by milk. The worship of the creation over the creator, that's a great affront to God, the God who made all things. There were many in Judah who worshiped the sun, moon, and stars in Zephaniah's day. No matter that the reforms Josiah implemented, he could not make the people stop worshiping in their own homes whatever they wanted to worship. They would go up on the roofs and would bow to the host of heaven. They were only to worship in the temple of God, but they ignored the call to come and worship under the authorities God had established for worship. Yes, it is true. The priests were wicked, but the people allowed these priests to go astray. They didn't study, they didn't hold them to account for the true worship of God. Another problem was people who would claim to worship the true God while also worshiping false gods. Zephaniah says, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by milk. They, want, they, would, they would make oaths, make oaths before God, and then they would turn around and go make an oath to a false god. He names Milcom, which is another name for Molech, which was an Ammonite god. What this tells us is that God will not share his glory with another. He calls you to come to him and to listen only to his voice. To lift your voice on him in praise to him and to him alone. This is what's called a syncretistic religion. Where you take from every religion around and mix it all together. This is the most dangerous of all religions because there's a little truth for deceptive purposes mixed in with so much error. You can see this in Protestant churches today. Some try to take what they like from each denomination or religion around them. They then mix it all together, making a system with no true foundation. The trouble with this is no one really understands all God has done over the centuries to develop his church. 
and thus fail to see what is required of those who come into his church. This was what happened in the masses in Israel and Judah. They forgot. They forgot what God did in delivering them from Egypt. More importantly, they forgot what in Egypt they needed delivering from. We see the same thing happening in many parachurch groups today. They fail to see and recognize the importance of the local body, which is set leadership. This causes them to flounder and be lost in the understanding of the covenant and its place in their lives. All of this, all of this is cause for God's judgment to come down. What must we do today to inhibit this judgment from its coming? We must take our stand on God's word and not be turned to the right or the left. The call of scripture is for Christians together with each other in local bodies where they can elect leadership to help them stay true to God's word. The local church is the best defense we have against the wicked world. This was the failure of Israel and Judah. Let it not be your failure. We need shepherds to guide us. Unless you belong to a local body of believers, you have no shepherd, you have no guidance. There is safety in having properly elected authority in place over you. It is only through such men called of God that you can be prepared to face the judgment that is coming. Zephaniah, in these first several examples, shows sins of commission. He now turns to show some sins of omission. Verse 6. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. He speaks of those who neither seek nor inquire. The combining of these terms shows that to worship the true and living God requires a conscious effort. You must engage in seeking and inquiring to learn true worship. Failing to seek God is a sin. It is a sin that brings a harsh and final judgment. This is the sin all men face because this is what the unregenerate do. He says, those who have turned back from following the Lord. He's speaking about those who have had opportunity. All the inhabitants of Jerusalem had opportunity because the temple was there. We see this today in our own nation. There are churches everywhere. Our church is a good example. We're located here on a major federal highway. The opportunity is before everyone who drives down the road on Sunday morning. But the majority fail to take the opportunity seriously. They refuse to hear the truth. Because of this, every mouth is stopped. Verse 7. Be silent in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guest. He calls these people to hush. Be quiet. Stop what you're doing. Stop grumbling. Put your superstitions to one side. Stop following your fancies because that only brings judgment. We can find a slight glimmer of hope in Josiah himself. He instituted his reforms. In establishing these reforms, he had to turn and inquire of the Lord. He did this through the study of the book of Deuteronomy. He did, on behalf of the nation of Judah, exactly 
what God required and what they had failed to do. Here's a little bit of the grace promised among such terrible consequences. Isaiah 65, 1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am. Zephaniah saw this, and in Zephaniah 2, 11, he declares, people shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of nations. In the heart of this message of doom, of gloom, is heard the cry of mercy and grace. He says, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guest. Here's the fulfillment of the covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. God called on Abraham to prepare for a suzerain treaty. This was where a conquering king would make a treaty with the conquered king to serve as his vassal. So God had Abraham cut some animals in half and lay them out. He then put Abraham into a deep sleep. He came down, God came down, and passed between the parts of the animals. This signified his covenant with man and his intention of fulfilling that covenant, both his part and man's part. That was what the two kings did in the suzerain treaty. They would pass through the animals' parts thus declaring that should they fail to keep the treaty, may what happened to these animals happen to them. In the case with Abraham, God passed between the parts on his behalf and on the behalf of men. God promised to take man's punishment on himself. God pledged his life for your sins. In this, we see the sacrifice God had prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus did for God's people, those elect, what they could not do for themselves. Through the sacrifice of Christ, all those called, chosen, and elected are sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. He did all of this in preparation of the day of judgment. He says, for the day of the Lord is near. This is the same wording John the Baptist used in calling the people to repentance in preparation for the coming of Christ. This is still the call of the gospel, to recognize you are a sinner, that you are under the judgment of God, which is near at hand. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. Place your hope, place your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Know he alone can rescue you from the day of the Lord. This idea of judgment can be very oppressive to the person who does not understand judgment is coming. It may fall in a local way only on our nation because we are founded by those who believed in God and in sovereign watch care over us. We have, and I don't see how anyone can refute it, been turning away from God more and more every year. We kill babies while they're still in the womb. I want to ask you, what difference is that from burning them on an altar to a false god? We're making a mockery of the very institution God gave to repopulate the world by approving homosexual marriages. How is, it that any, how is there any difference than having male and female prostitutes to serve the desires of those coming to the temple of a false god? We are living among sinful people. My question to you is how much is all of this affecting your prayer life? How much is it affecting your everyday routine? Judgment is coming. 
So my question is, what are you doing to prepare for it? Are you attending church and the things the church provides for worship, such as Bible study and prayer time? Do you use flimsy excuses for not coming? Are you really committed to serving your Lord in every way you can? Are you being a minister of reconciliation? Are you doing everything you can to show others the truth and call them to repentance? You ask, what can I do? You can worship the true and living God. You can study God's word, seek to know it as Josiah did. Open your mouth and call those you know in sin to repentance. Don't tell me you can't do it. For I know you can. If you will study and learn of the message of grace Christ brought to you. That he lived the perfect life in your place. Died the atoning death on your behalf. And won the resurrection victory in order to save your soul. To deliver you through this coming day the Lord of the Lord to a place with him in heaven. That's what he wants. He wants to bring you into heaven with him. You need to decide today. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as the one sent to save your soul? Are you willing? Willing to follow him and live your life as a witness of his glory? This is the way you prepare for judgment. And my friends, it is the only way. Open your heart. Believe on Jesus Christ. For it is in him and him alone you can find salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of worship and fellowship. We need you and time with you as we need it with each other. We have to have love for you and from each other to withstand this world and its evil. Help us to grow in love. Give us patience and kindness. Help us to not envy, boast, or be proud. Keep us from rudeness and help us not to be self-seeking. Grant that we not be easily angered and keep no record of wrongs. Don't allow us to delight in evil, but rejoice in truth. May we protect, trust, hope, and persevere in love for one another. We pray this in our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.